Happy New Year and welcome to the We Are From Dust podcast, episode 15. My name is Yomi Ayeni and I am the chief instigator at We Are From Dust. We Are From Dust is an art non-profit organisation dedicated to the proliferation of large-scale participatory and interactive art in public spaces and places. Now, this project was inspired by the amazing big art pieces exhibited by artists at Burning Man over the many years. And in this episode, we delve into the aims and aspirations of three artists to find out how big art inspires and changes humanity. So we hosted a panel discussion with Kate Rodenbush, Michael Christian and Aaron Taylor Kuffner. My first question was to Kate. Does size matter? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Me gusta más grande. <laughs> that was like, that's actually what the, all the, the entire crew with our double entendres of fabrication asked me what kind of um, screw that I wanted for to attach something. And I'm like, I like the big one. And then everyone started laughing. So yes, big art actually does matter because it uh, actually doesn't just create, uh, it isn't just an object, it creates space. And it creates uh, a gathering space, it creates uh, um, energetic space, and it creates a landmark for people to meet. So that's my short answer. Okay, and um, everyone calls you Taylor, I call you Aaron, what would you prefer? Uh, I'm both, I'm Aaron Taylor. Aaron Taylor. Yeah, there you go. Um, a man who yeah. is big in sound. <laughs> does size matter? Uh, size does matter, yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean big size matter. I think it's about scale. Oh, that's scale a nice is one. what matters. And so, uh, like specifically, let's say with okay. with Kate's piece, there's something about it being like large in scale to everything else, because then it becomes a landmark, and it also becomes this thing that you can be inside of, so that you can feel small within it, or it can make you feel huge which is what you kind of feel when you're an extension of being inside inside our pieces. For, for my work, I'm uh, usually working with people making spaces and structures, and then I'm scaling to that structure. So if you have something too small within, within the space, then that's not successful. If you have something too big, that's also not successful. So it's about like meeting the, the challenge of it. Because um, your 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 work, I think the, the the very first time I saw your work was in a massive courtyard at the Venice Biennale, yeah. and it worked absolutely amazingly well. You needed the space to really immerse yourself into into the the, the, the experience and the sound. So, was was that always a consideration for you? you? I mean, what you have here is also pretty pretty fancy. Yeah, it's it's all about scale. So with the Venice Biennale piece, I knew I had a courtyard. And so I first went to the courtyard and I kind of inspected it from an acoustic point of view. And then I thought, okay, how big of a piece do I need in order to like make this courtyard, make the artwork in the courtyard one? If I had something very small, then the courtyard would dominate. If I had something too big, then I would over dominate it. And so I scaled that artwork to, uh, to the, the courtyard, but then I took a step further and I composed all the music for that acoustic space. And it's the same thing that I've done over here, where I wrote all the music while sitting in the middle of that space. Therefore, I can consider the acoustics, the intentions, like how and where people sit, and then I can kind of dial the music up and down so that it's like built specifically for that. And I think that 
that this same kind of consideration happens in Kate, Kate's work and, and Michael's work where they're thinking from the point of view of like, how would a human interact with this? And what kind of presence would it have? What does it look like from 100 feet away? What does it look like when you're right next to it? Are you standing in the middle of it? And I think that that's the thing about scale and size that matters is that you want to think of all these different vantage points so that it can envelop you. Perfect. And Michael, your your work is, uh, I mean, you, you, you're you one person who I know takes things to great heights, as, as does, as does uh, Kate. Um, you've, you've crafted amazing sculptures that just rise into the sky. Um, does size matter? Um, I think there is a scale, as, as Taylor was referring to, that once you reach a certain point, it becomes an, an other, and it is tangible. It's sort of like it could be 8 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet tall and then it's something larger than you are on the human scale. So there's an intimacy of working with something life-size scale, and then it reaches what would be like, oh, what qualifies as a giant, you know? You know when you're like, wow, this is something other and not just something I can relate to, like the ocean or something, you know, you can, it's larger than, <laughs> than you are, and it definitely impacts the experience for sure. Kind of <laughs> yeah, it's one it's one thing to make something human scale like a chair, but then there's another thing when you're like, okay, I need to make something that people can go inside. It's a complete game changer because you just have to put that person inside that. For example, like I had to make that doorway exactly a certain size so that it felt like a tunnel, but not too cramped and not too big, and then build from that dimension outwards. And then also, if you, I had to scale the wings to make it look like those wings were your wings when you stood up there, and and so if if that was if that's the case, you have to make those wings a certain size, and so you're forced to do the engineering. <laughs> you're forced to do all the engineering and all that stuff and build around a human um, for scale. So. Um, yeah, so then that it becomes more like architecture than sculpture, in a way. I, I think there is. There's just a whole different vocabulary you're working with. And it's interesting, because I paint and draw, and when you're doing a stroke, and it's three inches, and you're like, I can understand what that is, but when you're working on something large, it's now it's three feet. So your whole perspective on how you create changes, because now you're working with 20 feet across instead of two feet. And it's a whole different sensibility that you have to adapt to. Okay. Um, that that brings me to to the awe aspect. Um, when people interact with your work, obviously there is some effect. You know, in some in most in all cases, in fact, there's a participatory element, and and that leads to to the reaction that that they have and. I, I just wonder, is awe the same as badass? <laughs> That's such a great question. <laughs> I think so. I mean, there's so many different levels to awe. So badass could be, I mean, I felt awe when I walked into the uh, Hagia Sophia in Istanbul 
I mean, literally, a loss for words. Was it badass, though? It was badass. <laughs> it's the biggest dome in the world. Um, but yeah, I think it, just for human beings to attempt something that big is is badass. And and the fact that it's a in a religious setting and spiritual setting is like another level of awesome badass, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I'm sure you have. I think, I think Taylor, it. for you, your 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 awe is different. It's meditative. Yeah, I, I now that I had a chance to think about it a little bit while Kate was talking, I feel like badass is something that kind of, to some degree, humans do, and awe is like is the experience which is kind of transcendent of of the human side of it, yeah. you know. So I would say using like the dream portal, for instance, like. I would look at it, and as I start to marvel how it was made and how stuff, and I'd be like, oh, Kate's badass. But then, when I'm in the middle of it, experiencing it, or the light's coming, or it's shining, that's the awe part. So the two kind of go hand in hand, but I have, I can't think off the top of my head of uh, some kind of exclusion where, like, something's badass, but not awful, or not full of awe, uh, <laughs> you know? But but I, I'm, you know what I mean? There's There's a delineation there. And so I think, like, for me, when I make artwork, the, the, my main focus is to try to create a magical, awe-inspiring experience for, for anyone who encounters it. And I am much less concerned with being a badass. Um, and my work isn't as badassy, you know, uh, I, I think. I think that, that the, the, the goal of awe it pushed way in front, way in front. Okay. Okay. It's funny when you say that that when you're making something, you can have a level which you're creating. You're like, this is badass, and then it reaches a point where it's beyond your your control or your experience. You're like, I don't know what this is anymore, mm -hmm. and it can reach that awe because you're like, I'm out of control. This is way more than me. Takes yeah. on a life of its own. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And, but at that little scale where you're like, I'm badass. Look what I did, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh God, I don't. It, it leaves the ego. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's when you can reach that then you're into kind of an awesome. And it's always best when you you realize you just instigated it yeah. and then it's off on its own journey and I don't usually realize what has happened until I see what's happening with other with other people that are perceiving it and then I realize like oh it was all baked in and <laughs> I didn't necessarily put you know, like I, like my role in it is not diminished, but it's like it's in its place, and it's not the the leader anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That you're like you, you're. It's it's humbling actually. You're just the conduit yeah. as an artist. You're just a conduit for this idea to come through, and then it has a life of its own by people interacting with it, and then unexpected awesome things happen. I mean, I I, I just wonder with with all the really awesome things that you guys create. Have, have you ever experienced your own awe? Okay, so, <laughs> yes, but it took a while, because most of the time when I'm in there, and I think you guys can relate, totally. is I'm like, 
oh, oh, wait, wait, I gotta fix that. Or, oh, I hear a little something. Or I'm, I'm like constantly in this like maintenance mode. Yeah, or yeah. I sometimes have to become the researcher where like I watch and observe other people, you know, but I'm not like observing it the way they are. I'm observing them observe it like as if I wanna understand a little bit, like a case study of like how my art impacts them so that I can learn for the next thing. But I had an experience where there was a guy doing breath work and had, he asked, he was like, look, can I do a like, workshop in your Gamletron sanctuary? And I was like, sure. And he's like, but I'd really love for you to join, join in. And it was hard to join in because I was like, oh, that one's squeaking, or this little thing, or maybe I can fix this little thing, or how is he reacting to this? But then there was a moment where like, we were just like, <sighs> you know, and, and like, I was in it. And then I was like, oh shit. Like, like the gong started going and then all of a sudden I was like, oh man, like this is bonkers. Like I am, <laughs> I am tripping and realized, wow, this really works. And it wasn't like I necessarily intended to write that music or I didn't build it for this workshop. He was just very skillfully using it as is. And then I, it took the breath work to get out of my like kind of maintenance person self and then be there and present with everybody else. And then I was like, all right, this this is this is pretty trippy. This is, this is working, you know. This is working. Yeah, I've done that where it almost six seven years later, because when you're working, you're yeah, you don't look up. And then I remember going back with friends to see a sculpture, and it was laying under it, and it's forty five feet tall. And I was like, this is really cool. And they were looking at me like, you made this, and I'm like. <laughs> I have never experienced it. And it was really a cool experience to actually appreciate your own work, but it doesn't. It takes time. And it doesn't happen all the time either. Yeah. Which one was that, the big tower? Uh, Flock. Flock, Flock is uh, amazing. Yeah. I mean, could, like, you like, Flock? Flock is, yeah. could you kind of describe Flock? Could you kind of describe Flock? It was sort of an anthropomorphic sculpture of, uh, I work in steel, and it was a creature a headless creature walking with four legs that turned into roots and so it was sort of drifting along and the body was I think 40, 40 feet in the air. I don't know how that translates but into meters. But it was meters. like tentacle legs. Tentacle crazy. legs. It was roots. So it had like 30, 30 roots that all came up to these four legs to this sort of wandering, meandering uh, creature, body, animal. Maybe it's time. <laughs> It's yeah. because you said it was like six or seven years later. Yeah. And so I've had the experience where I'll install something, leave it, you know, and it was the most important thing I had going on while I was building it and making it. And then even if I just come back and I'm working on something else and it's a year or two or six months later, it's like meeting this old friend in this whole other way and I can appreciate it in a depth that I couldn't when it was like the only thing I was obsessing over while working on it. So maybe it's time. Yeah, I think that probably happens in life in many other ways, not just particular to art in the process, but getting getting some perspective back and you can appreciate what you have or what you've done, where you're at. Yeah. I have, to, to your point, time, it also works in another, like, the fleet, fleetingness of time, knowing that your sculpture is not going to exist for much longer. Like, I had experience of awe when I, and my team, built Helios in 2016 knowing that i was gonna set it on fire <laughs> in a matter of days and um and the and and knowing that ev all the beauty that i was
creating right now is just this exercise in, in, in non-attachment and letting it go and just really, really deeply ex experiencing the sculpture in the present moment because that's all you had. And the sculpture was interactive in that you had to encourage, there was, um, God, it's hard to ex explain, but it was, so there are six pods around a, a center, like a uh, mirrored torus where there was a center altar where there was a six-sided mirrored pyramid where there were six places where you could write an intention of what you wanted to uh, share w with the world, like your an intention of your own personal manifestation. And then you had to climb up a, you were invited to climb up this pod and, and stand in the pose of Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man and shoot a light beam in the sky. And then if you got six, five other people to do the exact same thing, you had six people on a 12 foot tall, like these pods, they looked like really sci-fi. I love science fiction. And so you had six people standing like the Vitruvian Man uh, shooting light beams in the sky, crossing light beams, and then their light would return to you because the light would bounce off a six-sided mirrored pyramid and return the beam to you in this huge halo of light. And I looked around and I didn't really think how amazing that would look until I actually saw it live. And I just almost burst out crying. It was amazing. It was amazing because people it looked like one of those scenes out of a superhero movie when like all the superheroes had to like metamorph into their superhero selves from their like Clark Kent versions of themselves and they're all standing there and I just went oh my god you guys all look like superheroes and everyone on the ground w witnessing all these people doing this ac activation just had their jaws on the floor and everyone had goosebumps and it was just that was absolute awe and I knew that I was going to destroy the thing like in a matter of days and I just it was just that much more intense because I knew it wouldn't last forever do you ever find that I give you guys question of when you're working on something you think it's about one thing <laughs> and then you return to it maybe five years later and you realize it was about something completely different too you have this bold idea somebody will ask you what does this mean and you're like oh it's about blah 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 and then you come back and you're like no that's about childhood something or relationships you had that you had no idea at the time that you're doing but later on when you have some awe you have some reflection you're like wow this was totally about something else yeah i, I think question, about that question. when i you're when you're key the keyhole guy that you made yeah. what was that called It was probably about something like I'm saying that it had significance at the time, but in reflection, it's probably about something completely different. I mean, people, I've. It was. It that's was one of my favorite artworks of yours. It was a sculpture made entirely of locks, a figure dragging this giant key in search of something, and he had a key slot for a face. Yeah. Um, it's probably 15 feet tall. Yeah. yeah. And then you were like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know what it means. Maybe it means this and this." And everyone was looking at it like oh it means this and this and it just became all these this layers of of of, of psychological uh, uh it was awesome i well, love to that add piece. on that you think it's about one thing and then yes. you hear people having spirited conversations and you realize 
people have their own I love that part that they have their yeah. own interpretation that oftentimes is like wow that's more impressive than what I was thinking and <laughs> I had that once when you're in a gallery when you have your work on the wall and people are like how does it feel to be exposed to have your work because it was personal work and it's up on a wall and I would say it's fascinating because it's more interesting to see how people respond like I know that this artwork is about pain or some process and then people walk up and they'd say oh I love this piece and I was like wow you love pain or you can relate <laughs> to pain. that and it was more revealing of the person participating than it was actually what I was I was doing that's an aside but yes I think yeah. it comes down to when you're making big art or these these badass art pieces or however you want to typify them the kind of exposure that they get and the places that they live is in a much bigger realm than let's say a gallery experience or a more quote-unquote sanitized art experience which means there's a much wider cross-section of people that encounter them and encounter them from a perspective of exactly where they're at without uh, like an MFA or something, you know, Masters of Fine Arts. And, uh, and so you get a wider range of perspective and opinions outside of any canon that an art world would, would give. And so like, let's say a festival environment like here, or like I remember I saw the sculpture whose name we don't know, Key Man. Lockman oh, keynote, keynote, keynote uh, a couple different times, and uh, I remember seeing it at Boom Festival in Portugal, and how different the reactions were from wherever I had seen it before, uh, Coachella maybe. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and so um, also just how you know its placement mattered a lot too. You know um, where Boom, it was in a kind of desolate place right next to the water, and it was so much more of a potentially contemplative place whereas like Coachella where I saw it it was like literally in like the cross like walkway between multiple stages you know and it, and it had a completely different kind of kind of vibe to it so you know all these set and setting oh my God. yeah set and setting matter also the the cross-section of people and what they're doing matter and I think that's one of the great things about this is that um you make the kind of work that can be approached by a much wider section of the population and therefore you get a much wider sense of, of point of views and perspectives and it can also work with people in a way that it, it wouldn't, you're not controlling how they see it anymore uh, the way that let's say even like a museum card would next to your name i was going to say like the description that tells you what it is yeah, i love the fact exactly. that it's open-ended and it, that it's up to their interpretation i've gotten like i said really amazing response in ways that i hadn't anticipated or i think of yeah i have a i have a, a comment on this just on the um in relation to uh cur how a curator sets up your work talking about keynote having it be in a cross like on the way to the bathrooms or whatever or walking into a lake or something you know with really good placement and if you place it and if you really understand the work as a curator you can actually make the work more than it is in the way that you present it for example I had the sculpture that I made ages ago um, called a stadium of the self 
and it was this octagonal um, chamber and all outside uh, were plain walls. Um, I made them later on into just plain steel walls, like a like a solid vault, and then one of the eight sides was sliced open, and then it was you walked in this up this ramp of orange mirror, and then you found yourself in a chamber like a reverse Fresnel lens of all amber mirror, and all of the mirrors were reflecting your face at the center as if you were a lighthouse, as if you were the light. And um, at Burning Man, it was great. It reflected the, the it was uh, the doorway was open to the the sunset, and everyone would go in there and like have contemplative moment or take their photo, obviously, but. Then it was at another festival, and it was just like a selfie room, and, and like there was nothing special about it at all. People were just like, "Oh, take my picture in here." Okay, done. There was nothing com contemplative. And then this a really great friend of mine, Will Attendee, um, uh, who was the founder of See Me, and uh, he had a See Me Gallery, and he gave me a solo show uh, in New York City, in Long Island City. And he had this amazing idea to have a completely dark room and had the sculpture, uh, the walls were partially painted black and he turned off all the lights. He mounted one light on top of the sculpture to illuminate the, um, the, the orange mirror. And then he filled the entire rest of the room with a thousand candles, a thousand candles. Oh, so will attendee. I know. So For anyone I mean, who knows so, him, you know so this poetic. is signature Will, William I mean, Attendee. The, the guy is a poet. I mean, so, so, and then he had people put down their bags, put down their camera, and uh, walk down this pathway of, of light, of candlelight, to go inside of this chamber of mirror. And all of a sudden, the sculpture became exactly what it was supposed to be, because he had this idea of exactly how to present it in the right way in the set in the setting and people had these i mean would come up to me later crying saying i had this amazing experience in there looking at myself finally and and making a promise to my myself stadium of the self that i would that i would get through this um this cancer diagnosis that i had and then i it was a it was a it was it became a ritual space for me to confront myself and my own uh, darkness and light and possibility and and uh, become my own ally in this fight that I have ahead of myself. And she said, without your artwork and the way it was set up and the, the ritual that it was, that, that was created by Will, um, I would have never had this opportunity to create a ritual to stand in my own strength. Well, that's pretty cool. That is very cool, and I, I know this this talk in itself is about um, the impact art has um, within the community, but I, I, I more or less as a catalyst for for, for change. Um, but you've touched on something that you know resonates. I'm sure resonates with quite a few people. Uh, your work as a catalyst for change within the individual. Mm. You know that insightful thing and. Knowing that you know all three of, of all your work, it's totally different, different mediums, different forms. How would you say that aspect of it is a concern when you're creating and crafting? 
has it is it ever a consideration i mean for instance this beauty that you have here okay i'm sure you thought you know it will be it will be instagram fodder but at the same time um stepping up to this as the sun's rising is is just a thing of beauty and that is one of the contemplative moments where you can kind of realize there are certain things about you or about the world or, or whatever that's that's that you want to address yeah um i find that it's a crapshoot i mean i could have an intention and it falls flat because you don't know i mean yeah yeah and i think i have the most amazing thing and it's so bland and boring and then i think i've created something bland and boring and it's amazing it's yeah i in the end i just fail fall to just follow your intuition and make what you want to express because anytime i've gotten too wrapped up in the idea of something and what i'm trying to communicate it just falls flat for me that's my experience i don't know you guys but so you go for the all instead? Yeah, I guess so. Go for the all. Go for the genuine. Just sometimes you may say something that resonates and sometimes you don't. But staying true to what you're doing is probably the best path on that. Because anytime, like I said, I think this piece is amazing. And then it just lies there dormant and nothing happens and it's not activated. And other things can come to life that you were like, wow, really? Did that, did that happen? You know, I don't know about you guys. We yeah. probably with the composition you might well, have that. It's a little different because the the primary motivation for what I do is to create a tool for others to be able to use in order to somehow advance them on their path. And like this is the guiding force when I wake up. This is what I remind myself while I'm working and like this is what gets me out of bed this is this is why i'm alive and i try to remind myself of that to stop my to stop my own personal despair (laughs) and to have some kind of meaning right but also to 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 i have to believe every day that what i'm making has a role in improving in guiding in in like you know i'm putting my my energy into the hopefully advancement and cure and and these things and and that that that's the role that i'm playing and that's that's the driving force yeah you fall back to that as a default and yeah that, i find that building something that's a platform for people to have their own experience the more open the structure is the more activation that can occur and the more reward i get but when i build something that's and you'll see this with sculptures that are just talking to you and they don't really give room for a conversation for people to receive and interpret and bring their own mm-hmm. own self into it that the less engaging and less interesting it is but if you can build something that has room for space for people to bring their own energy into it and have their own experience and their own interpretation then the more successful i found and fulfilling that it is for me and reward because you see joy as opposed to just like wow that's cool what you made i'm like that's great but you wouldn't even need ego stroking but otherwise it's more fulfilling to find people like you said to find that place where you're like contributing and you're you're creating something that others will enjoy so that's the nugget awesome rain yeah, yeah rain. the tropics people it's raining yeah, yeah.
we got a bit of rain, but all the conversation carries on. Um, let me I'll, just. Uh, I will just say something about Darcy. I mean, I think my first mentor was a set designer, so I always think of my art, I guess, as a potential set piece for someone's experience. Oh, and it stopped raining. This is amazing. A set piece for for someone's experience, and I don't. And uh, it has an intention, absolutely. Like, like Aaron Taylor, I, 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 you know, wake up in the morning and say, <laughs> how can I kind of be a conduit and serve an idea and bring forth a, a an idea that people can activate by, you know, climbing it or participating in it. And I think with, woo. <laughs> we got rain. Starseed. Um, I created a seed pod in the sky, and uh, I knew b- it being Burning Man and me being a burner for at that point, gosh, 2012, um, over 10 years at that point, 13, I don't know, 14 years. I w- knew that if I built a lounge in the sky, <laughs> that amazing stuff would happen there, and it had nothing to do with what I was trying to say, it was like, here's a space for you guys to connect. And that piece more than anyone, any piece, my um, people would write me totally randomly and say, oh my God, I met my my future wife there. (laughs) Can you come to our wedding, et cetera, et cetera. Because you you create a space for people to connect. And um, it's raining. Um, I we are still here. We'll go for one more question, and then we're going to we're going to wrap. Uh, but art in itself, big art. What role has it got in community? At, at what point does it become big? <laughs> I mean, okay. Okay. Let's say art. Big like it won't fit in your car. Big or like. Oh. I mean, we got bigger big cars. Big, big exterior to carry, big. Or I mean, do you design with a purpose? And if that purpose, and at any point, is that purpose um, geared towards change in the community? And does it have a role? Or is it as open and nebulous as just creativity is? Yeah, I mean, I, I, public art is, I, I just love uh, public art. I mean, sometimes it's like, the public art is like death by committee it's not <laughs> it's like let's have the least offensive artwork and now we have over time of course and in reality and when it was first put up all the white men on horseback um public art that is being torn down all across the united states which is awesome and i think it is a i think it is a creative catalyst um i think it's a creative act to tear them down and replace them, which is what I hope will will happen. And it's proven that public art matters, and it matters what kind of public art you have in Richmond, Virginia, <laughs> in Washington D.C. It matters because it symbolizes our community, and it matters that let's say the Pearl of Bahrain during the Arab Spring, where everyone was rallying around that sculpture, it matters that they tore it down to try to get people to stop gathering and protesting. That's really, that's deep, right? So that is a big role of public art. And I think that if we can embrace that, and I know meeting with a lot of uh, US mayors uh, uh, last year, 
they know that creativity and public art is the is the secret sauce to having a, a, a vital community and, and the reason why people move and 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 are proud of their city is because it has that uh, vitality to it and it's not just public art it's the culture it's performance art it's mm. gallery you know first Fridays it's it's everything it's festivals like this all right so what was the question again <laughs> just just because I, I need to like recenter a little bit necessary Right. In the community, because okay, okay, within community, within community, okay, community. I don't know. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you answered and went on it, but I'm like, okay, I gotta get my head back straight. Um, it just strikes me as how funny, like, like how we're all wired, very separate from like an art market or an art world or even any anything that thinks about itself in an in a internal way which like most industries do, architects talk about architecture, bankers talk about bankers, artists talk about art, but like that's not how we think about it. I mean, we spend all day making art, but we only think about it in a community context. We only think about it in the context of like, how does this matter to others? Where can this go where people can, can be part of it? And so we're wired to say everything we do should be in a community context. And I think that that's just says, how important we think it is that we don't think of it any other way. I like that, yeah. <laughs> no plug going on here. <laughs> what is dust? <laughs> uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to drive. Get wet, get dry. Okay. All right. What's your next question? Okay. Are we playing music? Um, no, uh, <laughs> so we've been hit by another another fairly... It's not heavy. It's going to pass. But yeah, it's, the rain is going to pass. Go, go, so. go. Um, no, Aaron, you in particular uh, create spaces that I would call meditative. And it, it, within a community, do we need spaces like that as a way of grounding ourselves? Oh, yeah. I mean, the last... All the big exhibitions I've done in recent history I've been call I call them urban sanctuaries and the idea is to give people spaces of respite using the art to create spaces of respite so that people have this kind of non-denominational but somewhat spiritual religious place where they can like take space for themselves and that being part of their diet and seeing it as being a necessary part of their diet and I think that this isn't a trend just with me. I mean, you look at museums now and like the way they te treat someone like James Terrell's work or something like that, where, you know, it becomes obvious that people want to and need to experience these things and it replaces or takes the place of, say, religious gatherings or, uh, you know, other kind of pilgrimages yes. that people would make. Yes, I think, yeah, the, the potential of art to re replace dogmatic spiritual experience is huge 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 and i think uh, it's quite an honor to create art with a with a spiritual goal in mind not i don't know you know what i mean yeah potential application and transcending goal in mind absolutely yeah and the idea of using art as a place for communities to 
uh, gather, like in the example that you gave, which I didn't know, and now I want to talk about it. Um, and, or, you know, for the idea of like respite and community and, and it being the catalyst for those kind of things, you start realizing how um, in an ideal world, we can, the role that we can play and how helpful it can be for a community in order to like, you know, ail its wounds yep. and grow. Yeah. Perfect. So Aaron, Kate, Michael. Please, you have a round of applause, please. And don't forget, Michael is building here next year. Aaron's got a permanent fixture at this festival, which is great. And hopefully, Kate will have one too. Thank you very much. Stay dry. That was the We Are From Dust podcast. And thanks to our guests, Kate Roddenbush, Michael Christian, and Aaron Taylor Kuffner, for taking the time to join us. Links to Kate, Michael and Aaron's sites are listed on our blog. Don't forget, We Are From Dust is a non-profit organisation. You can support our mission to bring the transformative power of interactive art to public spaces by making an online donation at www.wearefromdust.org. We Are From Dust is fiscally sponsored by the Sierra Art Foundation.